as has been said, my assignment is to define this idea of social justice, if you'll give me a moment here. And I think it's very important for us to do this. Uh, but before we do this, let me just quote a Nobel laureate, Friedrich Hayek, because I think his words sort of sum up my approach and my attitude as it relates to this subject. Hayek writes, I have come to feel strongly that the greatest service I can still render to my fellow men would be that I could make the speakers and writers among them thoroughly ashamed ever again to employ the term social justice. I think that is a worthy goal, to make speakers and writers everywhere ashamed to ever again use the term social justice. And why? Why would I want to do that? Well, let me quote someone else who's not a Nobel laureate, but insightful nonetheless. Inigo Montoya. You keep on using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. The biggest problem with the concept of social justice, with the word social justice, with the terminology of social justice, is that it doesn't mean what we think it means. And oftentimes, when we address the issue of social justice, those who have decided to go ahead and use the terminology want first for the terminology to be understood based on their intentions and not based on the broader understanding. And that is simply, number one, not fair, and secondly, quite naive. And so I wanna look at three things. Number one, I wanna look at the meaning of social justice. And as we do this, here's what I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing that we need to reduce this to a question of semantics and then move on. That would be inappropriate. If all we're talking about here is semantics, that would be inappropriate. That's not my argument, but we do need to look at the term. Secondly, I wanna look at the movement. And thirdly, the mission. The meaning of social justice, the movement of social justice. There is a social justice movement and it has a mission. Let's look first at the meaning of social justice. Kevin DeYoung, in a very insightful article, Is Social Justice a Gospel Issue?, writes this. Social justice is a nebulous term, unassailable to some, and arousing suspicion in others. DeYoung goes on in his article to say that if this is what you mean by social justice, then no, it's not a gospel issue. But if this is what you mean, then yes, we can agree that it's a gospel issue. The the only problem is that social justice actually does mean what DeYoung posits in his first argument and not that which he agrees with in the end. William Young writes, While often an amorphous term, social justice has evolved generally to mean 
state redistribution of advantages and resources to disadvantaged groups to satisfy their rights to social and economic equality. I'll say more about that as we go along, but let me just sort of unpack that for a moment. Social justice has evolved to generally mean state redistribution of advantages and resources to disadvantaged groups. Advantages, resources, groups. Those are incredibly important words to satisfy their right to social and economic equality. Their right to social equality and their right to economic equality. Here's why this becomes problematic. God demands justice. Amen? God demands justice. Justice is not optional for the believer. Injustice is sin. Therefore, if social justice is truly justice, then disagreement cannot be allowed. Now think about any social justice issue that comes to mind and you already understand why this is problematic. Because in any social justice issue that just came to your mind, there are people on one side arguing for social justice that say the answer is A, the injustice is A. And there are people on the other side arguing for social justice and they're saying that the injustice is B. They can't both be right, except in the social justice world because the social justice world is not about justice. We must be about justice. Micah chapter six, verses one through eight. Hear what the Lord says, arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent you before, I, I, I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. What then, shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000s of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Justice is not optional. We must do justice. Let's look at the mission of social justice as we continue to try to understand its meaning. The mission of social justice is, really happens in stages. We've heard about some of it. Number one, identifying disadvantaged groups. 
And it's important to understand that social justice is not about the individual, it's about the group. And this is why, I mean, you can say as, as much as you want about yeah, an individual having success. But the issue is not individuals who have success or whether individuals can have success. Hooray, there was a bi-ethnic man who was the president, right? But, but again, that does not negate the issues inherent to the group as a whole. And so the mission of social justice first is to identify disadvantaged groups. And I say groups and not minorities. Often we talk about disadvantaged minorities, but that is not the case. And you need only one example to prove that that's not the case, and that example is women. Women are more than 50% of the population. They are a majority. However, women are considered, for the sake of social justice, a disadvantaged minority. I mean, I, I don't write the rules, y'all, okay? There's more of them than there are of us, but they are a minority. So ident the identification of disadvantaged groups. This is incredibly important. This is why we do politics the way that we do. In politics, we don't want to know if this candidate is ahead in the polls. That's, that's, that's not enough. We want to know that this guy is doing really well with red-headed, left-handed, white females, and this guy over here is really doing well with uh, blue-collar, uh, four-truck-driving, uh, I mean, we, we, we want to know which groups they are representing, because politics now is identity politics, and we want to know what you will do for our group, not necessarily who you are, what you believe, but what you will do for our group. So identify disadvantaged groups. Secondly, assess group outcomes. Again, this is not about individual outcomes, this is about group outcomes. We have to assess group outcomes. Thirdly, assign blame for disparate outcomes. Assign blame for disparate outcomes. If this group is is having a negative outcome in this particular area, then we need to find out who's to blame for that. If this group doesn't do as well academically, if this group doesn't do as well economically, if this group is not as well represented politically, and then finally, there needs to be a redistribution of power and resources in order to redress those grievances. That's the answer. And that has to be the answer according to social justice. So, so you may say, well, wait a minute, this group may be disadvantaged in this area because of something within that group. Uh, 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 uh. That's victim blaming. Yeah, but there could be statistical reasons. I don't wanna hear about your statistics. You're blaming the victim. The answer is a redress of grievances. That's the ideology of social justice. Listen to this from John Rawls. 
in his book, A Theory of Justice, really a seminal work on the topic. He writes, since the principle for an individual is to advance as far as possible his own welfare, the principle for society is to advance as far as possible the welfare, the welfare of the group. Social justice is the principle of rational prudence applied to an aggregative conception of the welfare of the group. The welfare of the group. Another author puts it this way. As I see it, social justice requires resource equity, fairness and respect for diversity, as well as the eradication of existing forms of social oppression. Social justice entails a redistribution of resources from those who have unjustly gained them, and by the way, all of those who have them are assumed to have unjustly gained them unless they are a member of an aggrieved minority group. So if you're a white person who has acquired wealth, that's unjust. It's unjust. Black people dominate the shortest and the longest race in the Olympics. Justice. Make up the majority of the NBA and the NFL. Justice. Do, do, do you see? The idea here is if the disparity accrues to the benefit of a group that is identified as an oppressed minority, then the disparity is not to be looked at. Social justice entails a redistribution of resources from those who have unjustly gained them to those who justly deserve them. And it also means creating and ensuring the processes of truly democratic participation in decision-making. It seems clear that only a decisive redistribution of resources and decision-making power can ensure social justice and authentic democracy. Redistribution, redistribution. That, that's the goal redistribution of both resources and of power. Redistribution from those who have gained them unjustly to those who actually deserve them. And here's what's interesting. We're talking about groups. So what that means is we're not saying that you were unjust. I mean, you could have worked hard. In fact, you could have come from nothing, from less than nothing, pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps, worked from the bottom of the ladder all the way to the top. You can be a self-made man. But if you're a self-made man, the determination of whether you have it justly or unjustly has nothing to do with how you got there and has everything to do with what group you belong to. So you, you can be a white person from Appalachia who was born with nothing and clawed yourself out. It doesn't matter. You are the privileged one. 
And if you stand shoulder to shoulder with the son or daughter of Colin Powell, who grew up with privilege and power, the answer is whatever they have, they deserve. And whatever you have, you did not. Because social justice examines the group. It looks at the group level. The mission of social justice then addresses myriad issues, but let me just give you one example. There's a group called Faithful America. On their website, they identify themselves as the largest, fastest growing online community of Christians putting faith into practice for social justice. So again, they're, they're, using, they're using the word. They understand what the word means. By the way, if you just look at the Oxford Dictionary of the English Language, they, they agree. Social justice is distributive justice. So there is, there is complete agreement in the academic world. There's complete agreement in the political world. There's complete agreement in society at large as to what we mean when we use the word social justice. Faithful America has on their page some of their victories and exploits in fighting for justice. Again, largest online Christian group fighting for social justice. What have they accomplished? Well, they fought back against Hobby Lobby. That's number one on their list. They fought back against Hobby Lobby. Why did they need to fight back against Hobby Lobby? Because Hobby Lobby was fighting for the oppression of minorities who are not minorities. Okay. Um, convinced Google to drop World Vision. Convinced Google to drop World Vision. Three, forced MSNBC to drop the Family Research Council. Are you seeing a, seeing a pattern here? Four, helped students win justice for a fired principal. Um, the fired principal was a sodomite. Openly gay man. They went to war and won justice for this individual. Defended an unjustly defrocked pastor. Who's the unjustly defrocked pastor? Well, he's a Methodist pastor who, against the orders of his denomination, performed a same-sex wedding for his son and his son's And that it was unjust for him to be fired. Now remember folks, injustice equals sin. It is a sin not to perform same-sex unions. This is their argument. And in the last one, on their, and I love that they just have this tacked on, fought the fracking industry. Justice! 
Now, if you think that those don't make any sense, then you don't understand the social justice movement. Let me explain this for you. There are three main areas encompassing the social justice movement. Three main areas. There are, there are others for sure, and we'll talk about some of those, but there are three main areas. The first is minority equality, writ large. Um, minority equality, okay? The second one is feminism and women's rights. And the third one is LGBTQA plus rights. Minority equality, when they talk about minority equality, um, this idea that we've already talked about, success and wealth are a result of illegitimate privilege unless that success and wealth has been accrued by someone who does not belong to the illegitimately privileged class. So for example, um, Asians are a minority, right? Asians are a minority. However, on college entrance, college admission, they're whooping everybody. Not everybody, they're whooping everybody. That's beyond everybody, right? Economically, they surpass whites. But again, not an issue. Why? Because inequality equals injustice unless it accrues to the benefit of a minority. Or let's say not a minority, but to an oppressed group. Because remember, women are majority, but are given minority status. Feminism and women's rights. Again, this is another one. It is always, always part of the argument. This is the heart of the social justice movement. The feminist movement is there. You cannot, and I, I believe it's naive for those who want to say, you know, on the one hand, well, no, we don't want to promote feminism and we don't want to promote LG, LGBTQA plus rights and all this other stuff. Really, we just want, and, and we, don't even, we don't even want in on all of the so-called minority equality movement. It, it, it's just racial equality and even specifically there, just black people and white people. That's like putting hot water in the front of your bathtub and saying you don't want the back to heat up. You can't get away from it. And then the third one, LGBTQA plus rights. And by the way, I'm not being funny when I say LGBTQA plus. L, lesbian, B, bisexual, G, gay, T, transgender, Q, queer or questioning, and A is for allies. LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer and questioning, and their allies, and then plus, because we don't want to offend anybody because they haven't been included as part of the acronym. 
there was a, a, a book called After the Ball. You probably, you may have even heard me speak about this book. After the Ball, the subtitle is How America Will Overcome Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the Decade of the 90s. It was written by two Harvard professor, professors, uh, Russell Kirk and Hunter Matson. one a professor in psychology, the other a professor in marketing. And their, their book, in their own words, was a propaganda strategy. Their propaganda strategy had three phases. Phase number one, desensitizing. Phase number two, jamming. And phase number three, conversion. Um, these are also the phases of brainwashing. And they acknowledge this in their book. Um, desensitizing. What, what do we do in the desensitizing? Well, you, you get straight people used to seeing gays, gay people, gay relationships, gay sex. Get them used to seeing it. And Kirk and Matson in the book say, this is the analogy that they use, right? It, they, they, they may have an aversion initially to taking this shower, but eventually they'll get used to being wet. Just bombard them through the media, bombard them through television, bombard them through movies, bombard them through the educational system to where it's just normalized. And here's what's interesting. We've lived in, in Zambia now for the last three and a half years, and I come back three, four times a year. Um, the family is here, we're on a two-month furlough, and I've, I've been getting my, my football fix, you know, the playoffs going on, and I've been getting some other stuff like that that we just, you know, don't even, when I was here, uh, maybe, maybe not. Now that I can't do it, man, I need it. So anyway, I'm watching and I'm noticing a number of things. I'm noticing that there are a couple of commercials that I'm seeing, a couple of companies that are running commercials. And I keep seeing these commercials over and over again. One of them is a company that is promoting the sale of jewelry, right? And, and for special occasions. And there's vignettes of various couples. And in every one of their commercials, there's at least one vignette of a same-sex couple. And again, a lot of the people that I talk to, they go, oh yeah, why? Because we're desensitized. I mean, it's just there all the time. I've noticed in virtually every football game that I've seen, college football game or a professional football game, there's commercials and it, there's always at least one of the commercials that includes a female football player. When did this? Social justice. Social justice. Minority equality, feminism, women's rights, and LGBTQ plus rights. And, and now we've sort of moved beyond. You know, there's the desensitizing, then there's the jamming, and the jamming, what they do is they say they want to reduce the so-called psychic rewards. They want to, you know, identify the idea of being against same-sex marriage with the idea of being a skinhead or a neo-Nazi or whatever. You know. Some of you are still offended because I used the word sodomite earlier. I did that intentionally because I was going to talk about being desensitized and being jammed. The reason that you felt uncomfortable with me using that word is because you've been jammed. It's a word the Bible uses. Amen.
The word homosexual, very recent invention. The word gay, up until, I mean, I mean, just a single, within a single lifetime, you've seen gay going from meaning happy and, right? Queer, the word queer. Anybody read The Secret Garden? Right, The Secret Garden, it's, just, it's, just, it's the book that we read, Secret Garden, right? We were listening to The Secret Garden during one of our trips and I did several, like, like half a dozen times. The word queer is used, it means, what it used to mean, <laughs> Somebody is a little strange. We've been desensitized, we've been jammed, and then there's conversion. Conversion is when people become allies. Become allies. How do you make people allies to the LGBTQA plus community? Kirk and Matson, By identifying gays and gay people as aggrieved minorities and hitching their wagon to the civil rights slash social justice movement so that the idea of being anti-gay is equivalent to the idea of being a member of the KKK. What about other issues? because there are other issues. One, environmentalism, climate change, is a social justice issue. And according to most people, it is the number one social justice issue. Because, I don't know if you realize this or not, climate change primarily affects minorities. Don't ask me to explain, I'm just telling you. <laughs> Income inequality global inequality. So you've heard about white privilege, right? Um, but, but the same article basically puts American privilege on par with white privilege. So here it's white privilege. Globally, it's American privilege. So think about social justice in the American context and then back up and look at the entire world and America is the rich bad guy who has unjustly acquired his wealth, who needs to be brought to heel and have that wealth redistributed to the rest of the world. How are you gonna do that? <laughs> Go back to number one, climate change. How are we gonna deal with climate change? Well, easy, you guys pay. Immigration, universal health care, animal rights, veganism and vegetarianism, and access to abortion. I want us to look at two of these, because some of y'all are like, veganism and vegetarianism, um, yes. If I could show you, I'd show you this website. Black, ve black veganism rooted in social justice. What does black veganism have to do with social justice? Well, the article goes on to say, for a lot of black people, it's the link between social justice and food access. Veganism gives black youth personal autonomy. We take back control of our own diet in a system in which we are not in control of many of the things that we purchase. 
How about the issue of abortion or access to abortion? Women on the Web has an article, Abortion, a Matter of Human Rights and Social Justice. You see, here's the, here's the great irony, because there are a lot of people who would argue that abortion is absolutely a justice issue. The murder of the unborn is a justice issue. Amen? And ironically, the murder of the unborn disproportionately affects the unborn who, if they were born, would look like me. It's a justice issue, right? But within the social justice movement, it is access to abortion that's the social justice issue. Do you see that? Got less than two minutes left. Three issues here. As far as this terminology goes, there's three things we need to think about. Number one, clarity. Does using the terminology of social justice give us the greatest clarity? I say absolutely not. Because whenever we wanna argue that social justice is a gospel issue, the first thing we have to do is move away from the definition of social justice that everybody already knows. We have to define it in a way that the Oxford Dictionary of the English Language doesn't define it. We have to define it in a way that schools of sociology and social justice, yes. Stanford, University of Texas, University of Chicago, a number of schools are offering degrees in sociology and social justice. And the way we define it in order to say this is a gospel issue looks nothing like the way it's being defined in the culture at large. So no, we lose on the clarity issue. The second one is toxicity. I believe it's toxic. It's toxic terminology when you see some of the groups that are using this terminology, who are identified with this terminology. It's toxic. Thirdly, necessity. Is it necessary for us to use social justice terminology in order to get at the issues that we're trying to get at? I don't think it is. There are alternatives and we need to use those alternatives. Finally, the use of this terminology has a chilling effect. First of all, it begs the question. Literally, not, I don't mean it raises the question. A lot of people use begs the question when they mean raises the question. That's a whole nother issue of using wrong terminology. But I mean begging the question in terms of debate, right? Arguing facts that are not in evidence. It begs the question, if I say something is a social justice issue, if you and I are having a disagreement and I declare that it's a social justice issue, I've already declared that my position is the high ground. And it confers omniscience upon the person using the terminology. Because there could be myriad factors that would explain an inequity. And when I say that is a social justice issue, I'm assuming that I understand all of those factors. And then finally, it shuts down debate, argument, discussion. 
Because see, God demands justice. The minute I say this is a justice issue, I've just said to you that if you're not on the side of it that I'm arguing, you're in sin. And so it has a chilling effect. We got people scared to talk to each other. All because of this terminology that is really well established, clearly understood. Why go through the gymnastics necessary in order to use the terminology? Well, I believe it's because unfortunately we're trying to satisfy the very people from whom the terminology comes. And that's a fight. Worth fighting.